Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, July 9th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion about Stranger Things 3. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior writer, Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer, Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. Okay, so we have all seen Stranger Things 3. Uh, if you have not watched this on Netflix, I would say turn off this podcast right now because we're going to go full spoilers and, uh, you know, we're not going to hold back in any way. So there's no reason to listen to this podcast unless you've seen the show. Uh, that said, let's uh, let's all start with our brief thoughts on the season overall. I, I'll start things off. I will say that I was kind of disappointed with Stranger Things 2. I think we had a spoiler discussion of that a year ago or whenever that aired uh, on the, on the podcast. And um, so you can hear my gripes about that back then. But like, I, I feel like this is definitely a return to form. I feel like this does everything I loved about that first season. Uh, it, 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 you know, it, it feels like the eighties. It has nods to all the things I loved. It, it does things in interesting ways. The, it, it puts these, it groups these characters in, 
in pairings that uh, just make me happy. Um, and uh, it, it evolves the, you know, the, the it expands the scope of this world and this this town and what's going on in uh, a way that just, uh, I don't know, I just really enjoyed the season. Uh, I think this might be the only season I actually got emotional during, uh, which we can talk about later. Um, Chris, you wrote a whole, like, huge spoiler review for the site. Um, yes. But can you sum up your thoughts in, uh, you know, a minute? Uh, I'm pretty much right there with you. I was not a fan of season two. I thought season two was a, a pretty much a, a disappointment from top to bottom. There was very little I liked about it. And it, it kind of got me worried where I was like, uh-oh, is, has this show, you know, run its course? But this season is, to me, this is like a, 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 an eight-hour summer blockbuster. I say that in my review. Like, this feels to me like those, you know, the summer blockbusters I remember from my youth where they're they're big and they're kind of dumb, but they're also really fun and you really care about all the characters. And I don't know, it was like a breath of fresh air because I feel like this summer movie season in particular has just been dreadful. It's I, I can't like I can't remember a worse summer movie season than this. And watching this sort of was like, ah, this is what I've been missing this summer, this sort of entertainment. Yeah, for sure. And I'm I'm actually surprised that Ben is here because he, you know, just spent like 24 hours or something like that hiking up a, a mountain of some sort. Were, were you watching this like on your phone while you were hiking, Ben? <laughs> no, no. Uh, uh, we, my wife and I watched, I think, six out of the eight episodes on the 4th of July. And then uh, we actually watched the remaining two at an Airbnb just outside of Yosemite National Park. So we made sure to get our Stranger Things in before we did our big hike, which I'm sure I'll talk about on uh, upcoming water cooler episode. Well, what did you think? Uh, I also liked this season. I did not really care for Stranger Things 2. I think this is close to a return to form. I still think the first season is just... Um, I maybe wouldn't go as far as to call it like a perfect season of television, but it, it the surprise, the the out of nowhere factor of of this show just sort of dropping and being as good as it was and, and sort of capturing all of these uh, feelings that it captured at the time so well was so impressive to me. And it's it's tough to, you know, the, the show automatically has a target on its back when it when it comes out of the gate that that hot, that strong to be able to live up to that bar that it set so early. And I think Stranger Things 3 comes close, but doesn't quite clear it for me. Um, but still, I, there's a it, this season has felt a lot more focused than the show has felt in the past. And um, we'll, we'll talk about a couple of the little gripes that I have along the way. But I think um, I think for the the most part, this was a really, really enjoyable eight episodes of tv yeah uh brad what did you think yeah i uh i think that i probably liked stranger things season two more than a lot of people not that i was in love with it it was definitely a step down from the first season but i, I still still had fun with it still enjoyed it for the most part um but uh comparing it to this new season this new season is ju is definitely uh infinitely better in, in a lot of different ways um it's I, I, just, I just love what it does with the characters especially when it comes to teaming them up um, I love just how the <clears throat> relationships have evolved. I like how the scope of the show keeps getting bigger. Um, this time, the the references didn't seem, with the exception of a couple, uh, quite as overt uh, or or obvious. I feel feel like they went in some more interesting uh, directions than they have in previous seasons uh, as far as capturing that nostalgia, even though it's still you know obviously there. 
Um, but yeah, I just I, I it was a breeze going through this. I, I spread it out over two or three days, mostly just because my schedule didn't allow me to sit down for you know seven and a half whatever straight hours uh, to watch the show. And I actually liked spreading it out that way. And even then, it still felt like a breeze going through it. And I especially like how. Um, kind of tying in with what Chris says about it feeling like an eight-hour summer blockbuster is the episodes don't themselves feel like uh, episodes. They just It just feels like they happen to be like, okay, we need to cut here. And then the next episode just picks up exactly where we were before. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's talk about Start Court Mall because I feel like this season really opens up the scope of the show a lot. You, you know, they're building this mall. Uh, the, the small town stores are... Going out of business, we have the introduction of this mayor. Uh, there's, for some reason, there's Russians involved. But I think Starcourt Mall is like the the big, uh, you know, new addition to the season, uh, and I, I love it because it reminds me of all the malls from my childhood. You know, that Sam Goody and the food court and everything. Um, what do you guys think about the expand expansion of this? Like just expanding the show much bigger than it was in the past two seasons um uh, you know it, it's weird to be like oh it made me nostalgic because i don't want to make it be like i'm nostalgic for consumerism but it really did make me you know feel like you know going to the mall when i was a teenager and you know a lot of those stores don't even exist anymore like you know sam goody and stuff like that so it was weird it, it made me like just but, but let's be fair in the 80s and 90s that's what we were excited for right Yes, and we were wrong to, to be so, but, <laughs> but um, you know, it, it definitely brought up that nostalgia. And I also think on this, on another level, it makes the show feel more rooted in the real world. I mean, I know the show has had, you know, product placement since the beginning with egos and stuff like that, but seeing like a gap in the background of, a, of an episode made this like feel more like it's part of the real world as, again, as unfortunate as that sounds because it just makes me sound like i'm comparing everything in the real world to consumerism and capitalism but that's you know by the way the, the only thing i'd say i feel like they went overboard with was the new coke that felt like it was all over the place yeah i don't you know I, <laughs> they had like a whole spiel about new coke where they compared it to john carpenter's the thing which they really could have just cut completely i feel yeah. like they put that in there because I forget the actor's name, but that, that poor actor who plays Lucas, he they never give him anything to do. <laughs> and they're like, quick, give him a speech about new Coke so he has something to do this season. And unfortunately, that was like his big moment. <laughs> um, what, 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 what did you guys think of them all, uh, Ben? I actually appreciated how it, you know, Chris, you're talking about consumerism. I think the a case could be made that this uh, – is sort of like having its cake and eating it too a little bit. And like, could, <laughs> you could argue that maybe it's like a, a sly sort of commentary on, on the, the dangers of, uh, of full force American capitalism, because the entire um, facade of the mall is that it's, it's built on top of this Russian facility and it's all just an excuse for these Russians who have infiltrated the small town to, you know, easily transport goods and, and whatever. And they have, you know, their entire like facility built on top of this thing. And it's just like, people are like mindlessly, um, you know, just mindlessly shopping and going about their lives, just like literally on top of their world 
being potentially taken down from like right below them. So um, I don't know. I, I thought that was an interesting way to sort of blend those two storylines. You know, the new villains, like the the opening of of this season, it opens in Russia, and that you know we've seen Russians in the show before with uh, Eleven and her like telepathic abilities. We've seen her, you know, try to like um, basically spy on them, and and maybe that was part of why she was. Uh, being experimented on and all that stuff. But this is like the most overt use of Russians so far in the show by far. And to blend the villains with the mayor and the mall all, you know, it it sort of, it felt like a natural, um, uh, a natural point to bring everything together for me. Yeah. And I, I love there's like uh, going back to the mall for a second before we get to the Russians. Um, the Duffer Brothers, who I think directed three or four of these episodes, one of the episodes they directed was set in the mall, and it was where, like, all the characters kind of, like, the stories were intertwined as they're going. It was almost like they had these, like, one-shots where it was connecting all the characters. I, I just love how that was done. It really kind of, while it's expanding this world, it brings it it brings it together. Uh, but you, meant to, you mentioned the Russians, and I'm wondering what you guys think of these villains, because we, we don't really get much insight into why are they there i mean obviously they're they want to uh they want to open up the uh the gate to the upside down they couldn't do it in russia because they have that opening where they failed to do it in russia so i think the idea was that they could only do it in uh hawkins yeah but like what do they want to do with that i I guess they want to weaponize it they're evil peter they hate our uh (laughs) they hate america that's that's their motivation (laughs) they they hate the red white and blue so you're saying like the 80s movies, it's, it, we're just generalizing a whole country. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it's obviously it's playing off of like Red <laughs> Dawn is the biggest example, so much so that they even have Dustin say reference Red Dawn in the show. But, you know, the the, the evil Russians in Red Dawn, there's there's nothing to those characters. They just invade a small town and start shooting people. And it's not like we get to know them. And I feel like that's what they're going for here, that, you know, the generic uh, you know, foreign adversary that just immediately scares all Americans. I will say, so related to the mall and the Russians, how, <clears throat> I, I, granted, I don't know how to build tunnels or things of this nature, um, but how possible or likely is it that aside from buying the land from the mayor to build the mall and have houses where secret tunnels lead to this underground facility, how likely is it that they would be able to build tunnels that are miles and miles long underground w- without being noticed somehow? Like, can you actually tunnel underground without doing any, like, work above ground to make sure, like, everything, is like, works properly? I mean, it, it's <laughs> it seems – because those tunnels are miles long. You know, that's why they have those uh, – the little, like, um, you know, industrial golf cart kind of vehicles yeah. that they have to drive yeah. around in. Um, so like, I don't know. That, just, that that was the one thing where I was like, I'm not sure that they could have built this whole facility. <laughs> That's an interesting point, especially since last season, there were like, um, uh, like natural tunnels going on where like Hopper, you know, like underneath the pumpkin patch fields and stuff like that. So, uh, I don't know. There's a lot of tunneling going on in Stranger Things. Yeah. That and, you know, even seeing, you know, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge being built at Disneyland and that took years to build, you know, just like this it's not that big. It's not, you know, it doesn't have mile long tunnels. You do make a good point, Brad. Although (laughs) I would say that the code that the Russians were using was pretty poor. 
like I mean, obviously they were able to figure it out in the, over the course of like a day. Yeah, I think several hours. They said. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, let's 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 talk about our heroes for a second here. Let's uh, let's start with Hopper and Joyce because I feel like when I was watching the first episode of the show and Hopper is sitting there watching Eleven in the bedroom and the door gets shut and. Uh, Hopper kind of becomes a jerk for the first couple episodes of the series, and I was not really enjoying him as much as I did in the, the previous seasons. Uh, he almost – I have this theory that, like, most of his stuff in, in the season, obviously, is paired with uh, Winona Ryder's character, and she is always, you know, at number 12 out of 10 – and I feel like he's acting opposite her, and he's kind of like at a twelve or thirteen in in, in the first few episodes of the season. Did was anybody else kind of annoyed by Hopper in this 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 uh, season? Uh, you know, I've seen a lot of people complaining about this, and I really don't uh, agree or get it. I don't know, maybe it's just because of the way I watched it or what, but. I, you know, Hopper has always been a jerk. Like he's a jerk in the first season. In the first season, he literally is willing to sell out Eleven. Like, and he only like goes back on that, you know, after he finds her in the woods in the second season. And in the second season, he's a jerk too. He's he's really always been a jerk. And I think what's happening is when Stranger Things came out originally. David Harbour, the actor, was not really that well known. I mean, he had been around for a long time as this character actor, but I don't think anyone really knew his name like they do now. He wasn't a household name. And since then, David Harbour's presence, especially online, has grown into this like big, cuddly, really nice guy. He just seems like a genuinely nice person. And this is like going to sound like humble bragging, but I, I got to interview him in person for this season, and he seemed like so nice and warm and you know, uh, talkative in person. So I, I feel like people have become so used to the, like David Harbour, the, the nice guy that when they came back to stranger things this season and they, they picked up with Hopper, the jerk, everyone's like, why is Hopper so mean? But he's really always been that way. I, I also feel like the show does a good job of establishing that he's, he's like, <laughs> he's been traumatized by the last two seasons. Like he has that speech early where he talks about, he almost like, shot a dog to death because he thought it was you know one of the the demi dogs from season two and it's also important to remember this season it takes place over a period of like i think it's like 48 hours maybe 72 hours so you know yeah he's he's acting like a dick but you know he doesn't really have any time to calm down like him him and joyce spend like the whole season running around from place to place and he's worried about 11 and he's worried about you know Russians. So I, I think, you know, it's understandable that he's acting a little uh, ramped up the way he is this season. And I, I also feel like that's just part of the character's arc. Like, I feel like he, he has to sort of work his way back into being, uh, you know, a quote unquote good man, if he even can be that. If I had, <clears throat> had one complaint with with Hopper is I, I I feel like I don't know his his development as a father figure for Eleven feels like maybe a little more aggressive and sort of drawn out than it needs to be because for for a girl who obviously grew up in some like very odd captivity and is unfamiliar with you know normal life in the in the real world he he's kind of he's like again very much a, a jerk to her when I feel like even somebody like that should maybe be a little more understanding like granted it's you know. 
a normal thing for, you know, uh, fathers to kind of be protective of their, their daughters, especially when it comes to boys being around like that. And while this is a, a show set in the 1980s, that has become a little bit more of an archaic stereotype as, you know, uh, it's become much more clear that, you know, women can be responsible for themselves and don't need protection from a man in order to, you know, live their life and that kind of thing. And so if anything, that's what made me more uncomfortable is just how kind of blind he was to like letting her live her life. And granted that's, that does become part of an arc and he comes around to it with, uh, you know, that heart to heart letter uh, and, and that kind of thing. But it's, I just, after so much time spent because it, it's, it was, it had been a, a year since that previously, that you would think there would have been maybe a little more change there, I guess. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I agree that he actually is a terrible father. I mean, you know, he's keeping her cooped up in his cabin, which, you know, part of it is protection, but he's, he's clearly not like homeschooling her. She's getting like no education at all. So she's just like basically hanging out in his cabin all day. Well, there were, there were some books there that I, um, I, I, I did notice one sp- uh, specifically that was like, uh, you, using English well or some, something oh, like all that. Right. And, yeah, so, it, and so you and you do see like how she has learned you know learned certain language things where sometimes she speaks in a little more stilted way about stuff she doesn't understand but but then things she learns from you know her her friends and whatnot she's a little bit more comfortable speaking about in a, a fluid way for sure um let's talk about eleven and Mike their relationship uh and obviously that breakup uh Ben what did you think? Um, yeah, I thought this was mostly pretty natural. Um, I thought that, you know, especially Mike's arc, you know, coming to the realization that he did by the end of the season, um, I I thought it was a good, a good excuse to, uh, keep, you know, I, I hesitate to, um, or one of my pet peeves with shows that start out with ensemble casts that work so perfectly together is the shows almost without fail tend to split them up so much. And I, I, just love the original dynamics so much that I want to see more of that. But of course, this is sort of like how shows have to grow and mature and, and, you know, continue to tell stories. So it makes sense that they decided to split them up. I think it actually worked really well because it gave, uh, 11, the opportunity to spend time with max, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but that was like one of my favorite aspects of the season. It also gave Mike the chance to sort of be back with his group of friends and like, you know, have them basically just like, uh, being confused and befuddled at like the opposite sex and how how everybody reacts and makes decisions and all that stuff. So I, th- I think ultimately because of the way that Mike came around at the end, um, I think that sort of justified that whole uh, development of their relationship to me. Yeah, and you're, you're talking about splitting people up. I feel like this is one of the rare shows that split people up, but have put them in just delightful groupings like after last season everybody wanted to see kind of like a Dustin and Steve spinoff and uh, the Duffer brothers obviously took that and ran with it and uh, they put Dustin with Steve here and obviously introduced this new character Robin Uh, what did you guys think I think Maya Hawk is uh, incredible in this series Um, she she sounds like Uma Thurman, uh, it, yeah. like in a in a crazy way. Like I I hear I hear the, the exact same speech patterns in her that you hear in Uma Thurman. Uh, but yeah, she was a breath of fresh air. Obviously, Steve and Dustin together were incredible already, but had, adding her into the mix uh, made it that much more fun. I, I just love how she was just endlessly, uh, you know, giving uh, Steve shit and just is this dry, 
uh, sarcastic personality. But I also love what they do with her character uh, as far as her um, romantic entanglement, if you will, because initially it seems like they're setting her and Steve up to be this pairing. And then they give you, you know, that uh, kind of twist where she's not into him in that way. Uh, which I which I loved. I love that you know we have this character this whole time, and that you know you have this assumption about her, and then they they turned it on its head, and it made for this nice, touching moment between those two. Um, but yeah, it, the, it, the, it's I, just, it's, she's not just into him; she's not into anything anybody from his sex. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that uh, us um, like Ben said with um, as much I love Max and Eleven being together, but otherwise uh, Steve and Dustin and Robin were definitely my my favorite team from this season. Yeah, I feel like yeah. that was my favorite like segments with everything with them. Chris, what were you gonna say? Yeah, no, I was I was just gonna agree, and I was gonna say like one of the things I did not like about season two was the new characters. I didn't care about Max, and I didn't care about Billy at all. And not only does, does this season make them more interesting, it introduces Robin and makes her really interesting. And I don't know if it's just because Maya Hawk is like a better actor than the people playing Max and Billy. No offense to them. They're fine, but she's clearly, I think she's like on a different level as far as her talent goes. And I don't know, just Robin was instantly interesting to me uh, in ways that Max and Billy were not. So I'm, I'm really happy that she's still on the show and I hope they keep using her for the future seasons. Um, I, I brought up that Robin twist, but there is a moment with Will who's, uh, doesn't understand why everybody is getting in these relationships. And I forget exactly what he says, but it's leading a lot of people online to speculate is Will also gay. I wanted to. Yeah, I think, I think Mike says something like, it's not my fault that you don't like girls or something like that. Um, and yeah, in the moment, you can kind of read that as like, uh, that he doesn't have interest in them right at this very second. Or yeah, I guess you can read that as because he, he immediately apologizes and it's like, is he apologizing for a larger thing? Like the fact that, that will is gay or is he just apologizing for, you know, being heated in the moment? Um, that's an interesting thing. What, what was, what was your read on that, Peter? Well, I had a weird occurrence where I saw this show a few days after it came out and, you know, we run a website and I, I read a lot of feeds and I think I saw like a headline about something about a, you know, gay twist of some kind. So when that moment came up, I was like, oh, this is it. Um, and I was like, oh, that was a little subtle. I wonder if they're going <laughs> to. So I, I, I think I I experienced it in a way that you're probably not supposed to experience it. <laughs> um, but what, do, what did you think, Chris? Uh, yeah, I, I do think they do it in a way that it's up for interpretation. I, you know, I, I and uh, I think like the actor who plays Will did an interview recently where he even said is up for interpretation. A part of me wishes they would just come out and say it because I think it would be a lot more interesting to just be like, yes, you know, Will is gay. But at the same time, if they want to leave it up in term interpretation, it, it's played in that way. Is it? Will and Lucas who get the short shaft in the season? It's definitely Lucas. I feel like Will has a, a bit of an arc here in that, you know, he he's upset that his friends are growing up and he's, you know, doesn't really want to grow up. So he at least has that. Lucas, I mean, you know, he gets some fun stuff with Max. And, you know, I, I do like their sort of like uh, relationship where, you know, he talks about how she broke up with him like five times and stuff like that. And the actor is fine. He does the best he can with what he has. But, I, you know, 
like Lucas's sister, Erica gets more to do this season than he does, which is, you know, I understand why, because you know, that actress is, is um, a scene stealer. Everyone loved her in season two. I do think giving her a lot more to do this season is full blown, like fan service. Like they really didn't have to do that. And while I didn't mind it, it, it like every time she showed up and had, you know, all these sassy lines, as funny as they were, it was like, Oh, they're literally doing this just because of fan service. So you know, I, I feel a little bad for Lucas. Give him something to do. He was there from the, the beginning, and they, they don't let him do anything. Yeah, I do think that slingshot, and that's it. <laughs> I mean, he did he did have the idea for the fireworks, and he does have the coolest shirt of the entire season that that ja- that Japanese style Karate Kid shirt. <laughs> that's true. I forgot about the fireworks actually. So yeah, he does have that idea. So score one for Lucas. <laughs> Uh, let's talk about Eleven and Max because they kind of make uh, they pair up for a, a significant part of the season. Uh, what did you guys think of that? It was the best, man. I mean, just seeing <laughs> Eleven, you know, being uh, under uh, the control of all of these men for the first two seasons. Yes, she breaks off in in season two in that one episode to go visit. I think it's her sister or you know a fellow. Um, uh, experimentee, I guess. I don't remember the exact relationship there because I've tried to burn that episode from my brain because I hated it so much. By the way, but, is that um, is that the worst episode in Stranger Things history? Uh, thus far, easily, yes. by far, yeah. I think. Yeah. Without a doubt. <laughs> um, but it was just so great to see, you know, and, and obviously, so, you know, with the experimentation and all of that, and then in season two, she was very much under Hopper's uh, protective wing, like suffocatingly so. And then to see her in season three finally get the chance to connect with another another woman. Um, and, and, you know, there was that moment in a previous season, uh, season two, where uh, Elle looks in through the, I think it's the gym door of the school and gets jealous thinking that Max and Mike are you know being romantic in some way and she like uses her powers to make max slip on a skateboard or something so to see that relationship evolve and and for her to just like team up with and sort of like get a, an education that none of the men in her life have ever been able to give her about you know living life and and just doing your thing and and um you know finding your own style and all that stuff it was just great to see her sort of fly free for once can we talk about probably I think the the worst subplot of the season, in my opinion, is Nancy Nancy and Jonathan, the whole newspaper story. Like yes. it feels <laughs> so not connected to everything. It it just doesn't it doesn't seem believable. Uh, yeah. What did you think, Chris? Yeah, well, in my in my spoiler review, this is the thing I highlight the most as as the least successful part of the season. Um, again, it's not the actors' fault. I, I like those two actors. I think, you know, they have their own special set of skills, and I, I I'm not against having more of them, but this subplot did not work for me, and it feels like it didn't work for the show either because they just feel like drop it like before, like sort of halfway. It's really half-assed the way they do it. Like they set up those newspaper guys and they're, you know, like they're all jerks and they're all laughing at her all the time. And then like, I'm pretty sure they all just die. Like they all just turn into parts of the mind flayer. So it's like, oh, all right. Well, that went literally nowhere. Like it was so weird to me that they cast like Jake Busey, who, you know, while he's not like famous, famous, people know who he is. And he has like, I think he has like two lines and then he turns into a zombie and then dies. It's like, why? even waste that part on him like what a nothing part that was and i just you know i I did not care for this subplot at all it also didn't really seem 
believable to me. And I, I feel like talking about believability is silly with the show because it's so <laughs> fantastical to begin with. But this idea that Nancy was like, I'm going to be a star reporter immediately. Like, it just seems like that character wouldn't think like that. Like she'd be smarter than to think like, ah, I'm going to, I'm going to break a big scoop and they're going to all love me. Like, I, it just seems like she'd be more intelligent than that in my mind. It's, it, it's the thing that felt the most 2019 forced into a 1985 setting for me and the whole show. It sort of felt like, I don't know. It was like the Duffer brothers were trying to, to make some sort of to take like a feminist swing and like I appreciate the messaging that they're trying to get across there but it just didn't feel like it it worked in the context of this world that they've set up um and then also it it didn't even really pay off in a satisfying way because the very end of the show you've got uh that one like weird ass news report that ha- has all those bizarre graphics and stuff like the inside about- edition news report. Yeah. yeah. But, and, and so early in the season, uh, Nancy has this conversation with her mom when she gets fired. Like the mom's like, go out and sell this story to the Indianapolis star and, you know, make those guys regret passing, you know, not taking you seriously, basically. So like the natural payoff would be that she does that, that she's the one who gets to tell the story because she was tracking it over the course of the whole season. But then you get this sort of like anonymous report at the end where it's like, who are these people? I mean, I guess like it was the mall explosion and all that stuff was a big enough thing to draw in national news. But Nancy just sort of gets sidelined in all that. So it just really feels like they they just sort of like started something and then couldn't bring it across the finish line in a satisfying way there. Yeah. Why wouldn't she be part of that whole, like she was part of everything. Why wouldn't she be used in those invest, like investigative reporting? Like it feels yeah. like that'd be the natural arc to that, all that. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't even think about that until you brought that up. That's, that's irritating. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about the, the bad guys of the season. Uh, I guess let's start with the mind flare and, the rules of the evil in the season because like kind of the rules of uh, the upside down and what's coming out of the upside down have kind of evolved over the course of this series. And I wondered what, what you guys think, because I feel like the mind flayer, um, we really don't know a lot about the mind flayer. Like it, it, I guess they are doing this kind of like invasion of the body snatchers kind of thing in this season. Um, Chris, what did you think? Just of the, char- the, yeah, the character of the, overall? Yeah, just having this, like, w- what do you think of, like, like, I feel like they did not set up the rules well enough. But... I guess but at the same time, I feel like they never really told us the rules so they can yeah. get away with it. Um, I mean, the Mind Flayer took over Will last season, so it is established yeah. that he can take people over. And, I mean, I liked it because it gave the villain, quote unquote, a personality by, you know, having him talk through Billy because, you know, the Demogorgon in season one, obviously, there's nothing to that that quote unquote character. It's just a monster. And season two was sort of like all over the place. Uh, so I, I kind of appreciated this. This gave the, 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 you know, the big bad an actual personality. It made him more of a presence. And, um, you know, this show, it's like the, the villains are like the least interesting part for me. I, I really just like watching the characters just sort of like hang out and be, be friends. And, you know, obviously (laughs) there needs to be conflict, but it's, it's low on my totem pole of what I care about. But there was also this thing like where in the upside down, we were seeing 
doppelgangers of these characters, almost kind of like us. Like, uh, what was going on there? What do you mean? I, um, Didn't, doesn't I think Billy that... come in contact with his, him, his own self in the Upside Down? Oh yeah, that is that early, and I I don't know what the hell that was. About, honestly, um, I just think that's just a way of like the the mind flayer like screwing with his head. I guess I don't know what else it could be. Honestly, I'm kind of wondering if that's a setup for us to explore dead characters in this in season four in some way. I think. I honestly think that that was just what the mind flayer was doing inside Billy's head because by that by that point he was already uh, inside Billy's body. So I think that that was yeah. just his way of visualizing him himself and like what he intended to do and showing him that you know that he needed him to create this army of people that would help form his body and that kind of thing. Am, am I the only one here that didn't like Evil Billy in the season? Oh, I thought he was good. I liked I liked Evil Billy. I liked him more this season than last season where he just seemed like a generic <laughs> sociopath. Like he was just crazy for no reason. And I, I liked that. I mean, I actually like they gave him like an actual sympathetic backstory here. Like you see that thing where he's, you know, he has that abusive childhood and it, it, it makes you actually care about him a little bit more and makes his, you know, his death at the end actually matter. Because Other, otherwise, if they had just kept him. As is, it would be like, who cares if he's dying? I, um, I do think the show cheats a little with its characterizations of Billy and Max because season two, like she didn't care about him at all, and understandably so because he's <laughs> crazy. And <laughs> this season, she's a lot more concerned with him. And you know, granted, she's not a a, a lunatic, so it would make sense that she would care a little bit of about him as a person, but. She seems like way too wrapped up in his welfare compared to how she cared felt about him in season two. And I feel like that's just the writers cutting corners and being like, all right, season two didn't work. Let's just ignore that that stupid stuff. Yeah, I think that's trying to use that's trying to like uh, up the sympathy factor for his eventual death. And I mean, Peter, like he didn't work for you. I guess he didn't work for me in that I didn't really feel the emotional gut punch that they probably wanted me to feel yeah. during that death scene, if that's what you mean. But like, you know, because the first time that Elle wakes up on that beach and you start to see the flashbacks of Billy, I'm like, oh, no, my wife and I were like, are they going to try to make us feel sad when Billy dies? Because it's not going to work because we just don't really care about this character <laughs> very much. But then they, they actually, you know, they go back into that and show more of the flashbacks, I think in a later episode. And, um, you know, they, they try, it just seemed like a little half-hearted uh, of an effort to sort of humanize this guy a little bit after him being such a monster in the second season. But I don't know, Brad, what did you make about, uh, of Billy? Yeah, I'm kind of right there with you. It was, it was. Um, I did like what what they did with it, and I, I, I didn't cry or anything when Billy died, but like it, I did, you know, feel like, oh, that, you know, that is sad because obviously he was an asshole because of the shitty life he had because of his uh, dickhead dad and you know his mom being away from him and that kind of thing. And so the the jump from trash Efron to this, you know, char- sympathetic character is is a little bit of a big leap, but uh, I, I think they did the best with you know the the time they had that they could dedicate to it. Yeah. I think I just didn't buy emotionally that, that whole beat at the end when he dies. And I also, um, I think that his death kind of undercuts Hopper's death at that moment. Um, like, like he's the one that we should be caring about and they're, you know, intercutting between them. And also I just have like, a like, I just, there's certain things I hate in movies. And one of the things I hate is like when they feel the need that they need to, 
create a human version of the villain to, you know, either uh, represent the evil. And it, like, I feel like the evil in Stranger Things as a franchise is is cool enough and doesn't really need that human villain on that side of things. Like I'm fine with the human villain, like the Terminator Russian. Let's talk about the Terminator Russian because <laughs> I kind of love the Terminator Russian. And I feel like once he entered the picture, that's when Hopper, I, I finally uh, warmed up to what they were doing with Hopper on this, in this season. Uh, what did you guys think? Like, I feel like this is something that could have been so over the top and people could have hated, but I feel like it was just so delightful. I'm I'm I think on the exact opposite end oh, wow. of the spectrum as you just because I, I just wouldn't call this delightful. It's just like a nothing character. He's just like a guy. And like there's yeah. no you know, the the Terminator had the, the actual Terminator is um has such a, a sense of menace to him and like there's this almost supernatural element of like he will not stop ever until you are dead. You know, it's just like this it chills you to the bone, and this guy is just like a guy who kind of vaguely resembles Arnold Schwarzenegger, who's just wandering around and, you know, shooting Alexi in the chest at a, in a public venue. Um, but, I, I, uh, I think that's what I liked about it. It was just so kind of over the top and ridiculous. But I was like, oh, yeah, I want to see Hopper being chased by a Russian Terminator. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I thought it was fine, I guess. I just I, I don't know. It, it was it was OK. But uh, Chris, Brad, any thoughts on Terminator Russian? <laughs> Uh, I was indifferent. I mean, I liked what they were going for. I, I don't think like the character was that memorable. I know I yeah. liked his death. I liked when Hopper kicked him into that thing. But but beyond that, I wouldn't say like I was, I was like you know what a great villain. It, it was he was I was I was neutral. Yeah, that, I feel like they did a good job of recalling the idea of these very generic Russian henchmen, bounty hunter type villains, um, and. That character didn't, I didn't think, really need to have much more depth to him than just having a vague resemblance to some of the 80s, you know, action stars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the other human villain here, Mayor Klein. This is one that I really didn't enjoy as much, but I do like that they at least tried to give a reasoning for, you know, the the politics of how Starcourt Mall came, came to be and how the Russians were kind of taking over the small town. What did you, what did you guys think? I liked the mayor. I mean, I liked it as a, a you know a very obvious callback to Jaws, um, you, you know, and uh, I also liked it because it, it makes sense that this town where all this really shitty stuff is going on would have like a corrupt mayor. Like I liked that as sort of like you know a non explanation explanation of like boy all this really weird awful stuff keeps happening in Hawkins. I wonder why. I wonder why no one really notices. And, you know, there's your reason, like, you know, the, 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 the people in charge, the government are are corrupt and don't really give a crap. And, uh, you know, I kind of liked that not so subtle explanation. I also uh, love that it's Carrie Elwood playing him and uh, in a weird way, too, because I, I don't know if anybody else has ever felt this, but I've always felt like uh, Carrie Elwood and Matthew Modine are like stepbrothers or, <laughs> or half brothers. I just I've always felt like they're very similar to each other and the way they carry themselves. Um, and it's funny to me that they're both now bad guys in this series. <laughs> yeah. Um, wait, Chris, you mentioned that that's a reference to Jaws. I know you did an article listing every single Stranger Theories re- reference and Easter egg. Did you get them all? 
I'm sure I did not. I, and uh, I actually didn't put every in the title. That was uh, that was our editor, Jacob Hall, because that 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 gets more eyes on on the article, yeah, yeah. and I understand why. But I would never be so presumptuous as to say I got them all. But I did get a lot. I kept like a a, 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 a note a note open on my phone while watching the show, and I, I wrote down literally every single thing I, I picked up on, and I, I got a lot. It's a pretty big list. Yeah, I'll put a link to that in the show notes if you want to check that out. But what what is some of your favorite? Like some of the more deeper dives that people might not notice. You know, there, there's a lot in here. There, there's some stuff where I'm not even sure if I'm correct. But you know, the, the, some of the more subtle things I liked was you know, there's that one scene where they're um, where where Steve, Dustin, and Robin are. They they learn the Russians are in the mall because of you know that merry-go-round plays a song, and that song is uh, it's Daisy, which is of course the song that Hal Nine Thousand sings when he's being shut down in Two Thousand One: A Space Odyssey. Um, there, there's one where I'm not hundred percent sure I'm right, but I think I am. Where uh, Max, I mean um, Eleven, when she goes to the house of the editor and his daughter, who's possessed by you know, the mind flare, um, you know, she goes to this house and it's this big white house with a, a big red door. And the address of the house is uh, 1438. And that immediately made me think of the Nightmare on Elm Street house because that it looks exactly the same. And the address of the Nightmare on Elm Street house is 1428. And those numbers are, while not the same, they're way too close for my my opinion to, to <laughs> not be a, a reference. Otherwise, it would be like a really big coincidence if, if otherwise um yeah and there's like little throwaway lines like there's a part where the, the russian says to hopper you're a policeman policemen have rules which is literally a line from die hard and there was just stuff like that that you know i i really enjoyed um picking up on as it unfolded what did you think of the the guys going to see back to the future I like that whole sequence. I like just yeah. because of the acting um, with the characters, how they're just, com- you know, obviously they're stoned, but they're just completely befuddled about what they're watching, especially because they come in like at the midpoint of the movie. Yeah. So I thought that was, that was fun. And, uh, I, also, I also love how that sequence is edited when they're on the walkie talkies and they use the, um, the actual score cue from back to the future. But uh, when doc and Marty are like communicating. Yeah, they use the Elvin Silvestri score, which is actually kind of funny. I played uh, the episode before that. I played, like, click on next episode, and somehow it started the episode during that scene and not at the beginning of the episode. I don't know if someone has my Netflix password or, or what's going on. But uh, we watched a good five minutes before we were like, oh, we missed the beginning of this episode. But um, the minute he was on the walkie-talkies and the first, like like, little music cue in the background from Back to the Future played, I was like, Wait, are they still in the score from Back to the Future? <laughs> so I, I, I like immediately knew. Um, but okay, uh, let's talk about the bloody gore because I feel like this season takes that up a bit, with, especially with like some of the like you know slicing into bodies and stuff like that. I, w- I was kind of surprised that they how far they went with that kind of stuff, especially since this is you know a very popular thing that's very accessible and watched. You know, it's probably the biggest thing in pop culture this year wait is this bigger than game of thrones what do you guys think it's definitely not bigger than avengers endgame <laughs> or star wars the well, rise no, no, of skywalker but yeah but, I would say, but, but I would you're say talking you're, you're talking about money wise if we were to divide you know avengers endgame made what like no i'm not just talking two. about money wise i'm talking about everything the stranger things 3 is no no in no way bigger than avengers endgame i would say it's probably the biggest thing 
that Netflix has going on. Wait, okay, and, I, I'm going to do the math here. Avengers Endgame has made has made how much money? The the math doesn't matter. It's, it's no, I mean, it's, two point seven. billion. I'm doing the math here, Brad. Oh, my God. $2.7 billion, right? Uh, And if we divide that by how much is the average ticket price? Like 10 bucks? Sure. So that's 270 million. Okay, yeah, you're right. It's much bigger. (laughs) Never mind. Even even then, I mean, mean, the numbers don't really work like that. But besides Uh... that... The the because like something like forty million people watched this in the first uh, four days or something like that. The watch Stranger Things. So, but the full impact of Avengers Endgame just as a pop culture imprint is even bigger than Stranger Things three. So I mean, yeah, yeah, no, you you were right for sure. Um, but is this bigger than Game of Thrones? No, no, no? Peter, you're insane. What are well, you talking? Nineteen about? million people watched Game of Thrones finale on uh, in the first twenty four hours. Forty million people watched this series in the first four days yeah but 19 million people so so those are netflix numbers that they're giving and we don't have any sort of confirmation about that and that that 19 million number is just official hbo sources and game of thrones is the most pirated show in the entire world so basically you're saying we can't compare what hbo is claiming up against what netflix is claiming I mean, you can compare what HBO is claiming, but then you also have to factor in all of the piracy stuff that you don't have to really factor in with Netflix. But you don't think there's Netflix piracy? Not really. Probably. I mean, not, 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 yeah, not nearly as much. Yeah, mm-hmm. There absolutely is Netflix piracy, though, because yeah. a lot of people don't have Netflix, believe it or not. Yeah, people aren't willing to spend even, what is it, like 13 bucks or... It might be much. less than that for like the basic basic streaming yeah. plan, but yeah. Okay, I'm sorry, we got distracted here by pop culture influence, but uh, let's talk about the gore. Chris, talk about the gore. Um, it, it definitely was ramped up. Even even the action was ramped up. Like that big fight between the the first one between uh, Billy and Eleven is. I was surprised at how brutal that was, especially because she's like a kid and she's getting like thrown around. But a part of me thinks that that's sort of like commenting on just, you know, the the eighties movie landscape as a whole, where, you know, eventually they needed to develop the the PG thirteen rating because they kept pushing boundaries with certain films and getting you know, films that were originally thought of as for general audiences were getting, you know, gorier and nastier and, and uh, scarier. And they, they had to develop a whole new rating for that. And I, I kind of wonder if that's what they were going for here. They're trying to hmm. show as time goes on, uh, you know, as the eighties march on things get more uh, graphic and boundary pushing. Hmm. And uh, let's talk about Dustin and Susie. I feel like, you know, when Dustin comes back from camp and talks about Susie, no one believes him, even though like he's building this, like, big radio tower on the hill to communicate with her and at the end of the the show she appears he gets in contact with her to get that number which is a uh, passcode uh, to the vault and uh, she makes him sing this duet a never-ending story uh, how great was this guys <laughs> it was like during the most climactic moment of this uh, you know the season and it just breaks out into like this what like two or three minute long musical moment? Yeah, let, let me. Well, first of all, and also let me say that somebody well, who writes for Stranger Things has been listening to Slash Film Daily because I feel very uh, seen as far as Dustin is concerned. Because I too have a Mormon girlfriend who lives in Utah, 
and some of my friends <laughs> thought that I was making her up. <laughs> um, but the, no, I, I laughed so much at that. But yeah, this it's so funny. I I actually like went back and forth while I was watching the scene between thinking that it was hilarious to thinking, okay, this has gone on too long, and then going back to, okay, this is pretty great that it's going on this long. <laughs> ben, what did you think? I just thought it was kind of great that Susie served as, like, the actual internet before there was an internet for them. Like, they could have just easily looked up whatever that, uh, you know, mathematical yeah. number was uh, if they had access to something. But they just had to call up Susie, and she knows everything. Um, what did we think of the the quick subplot of Mrs. Wheeler and Billy? I, I know that was continued on from season two, but it, it felt almost unnecessary. Yeah, they could have. I I feel like they could have cut that completely. I mean, I you know it gives that actress more to do because she's part of the main cast, but they they didn't need that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it almost feels like it's uh like a very small way of them representing of like just in addition to the overall evil and darkness that comes from the upside down i guess that side of 80s culture of like suburbia seeming like it's this wholesome everything's cool here nice neighborhood kind of thing but really like the families are depressed and broken and unhappy with their lives and you you kind of get that vibe with her being unhappy with her husband uh and then but then eventually kind of comes back around to it like where like when they're at like the the fair and stuff with their daughter kind of thing i don't know and it seems weird to me that like the 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 father has been kind of shoved aside um because he he was around a pretty decent amount in the first season and now he's just kind of there sleeping in a chair (laughs) (laughs) yeah i wonder what the deal is with that um okay let's get to the ending here i guess let's start with um well, let's start with Elle and them taking away her powers. Like, I was kind of wondering when everything was coming to a head, when we were gearing up for the last two episodes, I was like, Elle has now come into her powers and kind of come into her own strength and uh, there's no men holding her back and whatever. And I'm like, but now, like, she is so evolved that, like, this is going to be easy. Her versus the Mind Flayer is going to be easy. And then they do the brilliant you know, bait and switch of actually taking away her powers, at least temporarily, maybe permanently. What, what did you guys think of that? Uh, I'm not 100% sold on it. I, I feel like that's like the lazy way of writing it. I feel like that's the same problem Marvel had with Captain Marvel and that like, oh, she's so powerful. How are we going to handle <laughs> this? Uh, we'll take away her powers or we'll limit her powers. And I get why they do it. And, you know, it'll it'll definitely give that character a whole new you know, perspective for season four, but uh, I don't know how I feel about it. Honestly. Do, uh, do you think, well, do you think she's going to get her? I mean, who here doesn't think that she's going to get her powers back in the next season? So we, no we, we all just assumed it's going <laughs> to yeah, be Yeah. It's a given. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Okay. Let's talk about Hopper's death and what that does. Uh, where does that leave Elle? I mean, she's now with, um, uh, the wheelers yeah so like uh, or the the buyers, or buyers. buyers. sorry yeah, yeah. And, and the buyers are are moving right far or are they moving do we know where they're moving to i forget i don't know if they say or not but it does it doesn't seem like it's that far because they sort of imply that you know like uh they he says like you can visit us for thanksgiving i mean granted you could get on like a plane to do that but just the way they present it doesn't seem like it's like across the world it just seems like it's not in town 
Yeah, and I think the the actor that plays Will has alluded to, and this could just be his own assumptions and not him actually knowing anything, but that the next season will have him and that that whole crew kind of off on their own because they're living someplace else. Um, but obviously there could be a reason, there could be a Thanksgiving, there could be whatever to bring them back to town. Um, I assume that this story is still going to have to take place in Hawkins, right? Like the the entrance to the under uh, like like they you need you need to be there but i guess there's so many government there's so, all the eyes around the world now because of this news reporter are looking at the small town in indiana so like how do you do that well i mean there's also they also have like the russian connection now i mean because you know we're talking about hopper here and we all know he's not actually dead we all know that's that's him behind the door in that that post credit scene so i'm guessing season four is going to be partially about him wait wait explain explain what happens in this post credit scene because uh some people might have even missed this okay so uh you know obviously it's it makes the show makes it look like hopper has died and it's a big emotional thing even though we all know there's no way he could be dead because they're not going to get rid of David Harbor, but um, there's this post-credit scene in Russia. It's at this this secret base, and there's these two Russian guards, and they're walking by all these like prison cells with these solid doors that we can't see through. And one of the guards goes for a door, and the other guard stops him and says, "No, not the American." And then they they pull some poor Russian guy out of another cell, and they feed him to the demigorgon who is alive again and back and in Russia. So, uh, you know, my assumption is uh, a, at least a part of season four is going to be about, you know, Hopper escaping and getting back to America um, where that leaves the kids. I don't know. I don't know if they're going to like infiltrate Russia to get him back or something like that, but I'm assuming that's going to be somewhat part of the plot. I hope they bring Murray along because watching him react to the kids was a really great joy for me this season when in season two, I didn't really care for that character that much. I thought his dynamic with, you know, when uh, Erica is talking to him and he's like, why is this four year old talking to him? I don't know. There was something about his his um, sort of put upon nature this season and his friendship with Alexi that made him much more endearing to me. So I would love it if they, you know, tried to yeah, grab him, jump on a plane and head over to Russia to try to break uh, <laughs> Harbor or um, uh, Hopper out of that Russian prison facility. I, I have loved Brett Gilman on this series since season two. I actually thought he was one of the, the best parts of, of season two and he is awesome uh, in this season. I was so hoping that he wasn't just going to be a small part. And the fact that he's such an integral character in the second half of the season was so much fun to me. And especially during, their like little heist on the Russian facility, just the his just exasperation with the kids over the walkie talkies when they keep calling him Bald Eagle. It's just so so good. I I love Brett Gelman in this show. So do we all think that Hopper is the American? Is that the theory? Yeah, he's he's got to be because the only other option is that he's still in the Upside Down and he can't stay there for long without incurring some serious uh, risks to his health. Well, there's, also, a, there's actually some my, other options, too, and HT has an article I'll link in the show notes with uh, some Stranger Things fan theories there. But uh, what were you going to say, Chris? Oh, I was going to say when I interviewed David Harbour, he sort of slipped up and literally told me that's him behind the door. And he actually like the Netflix rep pulled me aside <laughs> after the interview and was like, please don't put that in your, your interview. And I was like, all right, I won't. So, uh, yeah, he, he um, more or less told me, you know, that's. That's him behind the door. Well, I mean, everybody knows that. Come on. Yeah, it's not like a. But it's it's not going to be a shocking twist at this point. I actually feel like 
they are going to change just because everyone knows at this point. So they're going to be like, all right, we need to think of something else because everyone already knows what's going on here. But how do you explain him surviving that? Like, it didn't seem like anybody could have survived that. He he, He jumped into the upside down because the gate was still partially open. And I think that there's a reason why there's a, a highlight of the keep the door open three inches. Um, but he jumped, clearly jumped to the upside down, and he came out through the, the Russian gate. And so that's why the ah, Russians have him now. I didn't even think about that. Okay, um, so he's the American. He's going to be back. What are the Russians doing with the Demigorgon? They're going to make him their prime minister, and <laughs> he's going to turn into Vladimir Putin and hack America's election. It's all leading up to that. And Chris has been immediately killed. <laughs> but like, so, I mean, it's, I feel like it's the same kind of thing that any you know, like movie where the, where the Russians are villains. They're just trying to do things that are dastardly as a way to hopefully stick it to America. Like they they think that they can use the upside down and the demogorgon and whatever else is in there to their advantage as like a, a weapon or something like that. So I have a dumb question that I want to ask you guys um, that, that you, you posing this question. Just, I just thought about this. Uh, I have not rewatched the f- season one since it came out, but at the very end of season one, 11 is in the school, I think. And she like blasts the demogorgon into a wall and she disappears. And there's sort of a cliffhanger there. Do we see the demogorgon's body there or could the demogorgon that demogorgon have theoretically been i don't know like psionically blasted through some sort of portal and the russian one that we're seeing here is the same one that we're seeing uh, that we saw in season one or is is this a different demogorgon i assume assume that it was a different one because i i feel like the demogorgon isn't like the demogorgon it's just a demogorgon see i assume that too but uh, when I got the screeners for season four or three, or sorry, Netflix sent me this huge list of things not to put in my review. Like, don't give away spoilers. And the last one was literally, please don't mention the return of the Demogorgon. So them writing that makes me think mm. it's supposed to be. That's interesting. The but, same but, one. I don't know how that works. The Demogorgon could be like, don't, you know, don't mention the return of bears. Do you know what I mean? It's like, right, I right, right, like right, that's yeah. just the name. Like, don't mention the return of moose. There are moose that come back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So I, I'm just wondering, like, what is season four going to be? Because we've heard from the Duffer Brothers that season four will likely be the last of this franchise. And it, it's funny. Like, this season, you honestly could, just like the first season, you honestly could end the series with that that first season and i feel like you could end it here like the buyers moving uh, moving away and everything it, it does feel like an ending of sorts even though it does leave things open for more and tease tease more um i mean get, I, I guess the first season does that too with with will right so um but what do you what do you guys think season four is gonna be like if the russians have a demigorgon i feel like the demigorgon is such a small stakes villain at this point because you know we've encountered these huge, uh, these huge monsters from the Upside Down, and he's so small. But I do like that they're bringing it back to him. Maybe there's a way that maybe season four is. I'm, I'm just spitballing out loud, and I, as it's going on in my head, I'm also I'm already like this is a bad idea. But maybe it's like the Russians find a way to weaponize the demigorgon so it's it's not just you know these kids against 
this creature from the upside down, but it's them against the Russians controlling this creature in some way. Yeah, I mean, I think that that sounds like uh, it sounds plausible. It seems like that's what they're they're trying to do based on what limited information we're given about, you know, them keeping it satiated by feeding random Russian prisoners to it. So I don't know, maybe they are trying to domesticate it or control it in some way. It'll be like that. uh that um, Jurassic Park movie that was never yeah. ultimately made where all the raptors were turned into, you know, I don't know what laser gun toting uh, weapons that, that were controlled by the government or whatever. I mean, some of those ideas were were used in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, but uh, not to the ridiculous degree that they were in that spec script that never got made. Yeah, it was, well, plus- as I was saying it, that was the idea that was coming into my head was that <laughs> abandoned Jurassic uh, Park script. Let's not forget, too, that at the end of the last episode, uh, Paul Reiser came back briefly and they him and his American squad uh, went into the room where the the gate had been opened again and were kind of left with him just staring at it and not really sure what they're going to do about that. Oh, yeah. Maybe they'll be able to facilitate the uh, the teleporting to help Hopper out of the prison or something. Hmm. Or maybe it'll be the kids with. I don't, I don't know. I, re- I really don't know what season four is going to be, but it'll be interesting. Do you, do you think, Chris, and do you want – I already know the answer to this. So I'm, this is a leading question. But do you think they'll explain the upside down in season four, and would you want that? Oh, God, no. Please don't do that. No no further explanations are needed. Um, all I know is by the time season four rolls around – those kids are going to look like they're in their forties. So uh, they can, they could probably just get away with doing, I'm, I'm guessing they're going to have to do something like time jump because this season alone, those kids look so much older, even especially like a year has passed between seasons, but they look so much older than the previous season that I can only assume they're going to do some sort of like bigger time jump, like five years have gone by or something like that. That's the only thing I can think of. To yeah, explain it was, how it was crazy. It was crazy when they did that flashback to the first season showing them and they all look like like the tiniest children and it's been like three years since then and now they look like these these grown men uh yeah it's just it's it's so weird like caleb mclaughlin the kid who plays lucas he's been doing like publicity stuff all over the web and he's got like facial hair and everything now and it's it's just nuts (laughs) okay i think we've gone along with the spoiler discussion so is there anything else that we have not talked about that you guys want to address before we go Uh, you know it just dawned on me a second ago. You were talking about how will we see like that, that them go to Russia or something like that. And considering the the way the upside down portals uh, seem to work, there's a possibility that that wouldn't be too difficult of them to maybe do that. So I wonder if that that could be a thing where they like they go through the upside down and end up like in another location, and it primarily takes place somewhere completely different. But I, I don't know if they're if they want to steer away from Hawkins or not. So you're you're suggesting that season four could expand in in scope to, I mean, have storylines going on around the world, I guess. Maybe. I mean, if if, if it continues to grow in scope, uh, you know, I I don't know, maybe maybe we'll get another uh, wacky European vacation. And you know what's going to happen by the time this series comes to an end, right, is those kids, those those other super powered 
experimentees are going to come back into the story and factor in somehow. So maybe like L is going to lead an army of telepathic people to finally defeat this thing once and for all. And those characters that we hated so much in that one episode in season two are actually going to be like the people, you know, the cavalry that, that rides in to save the day at the end of it all. Please, God, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. Uh, if you have an idea of where Stranger Things 4 is headed, something that we didn't say on this podcast, uh, please submit it to us at peter at slashfilm.com and maybe we'll read it on the air in a future episode. Uh, you can find more of all of our work at slashfilm.com. You can find those articles I mentioned linked in the show notes. This podcast, Slash Film Daily, is published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please head on over to our iTunes page. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you tomorrow.